0: Today, I'm joined by Alvin Kressler, CEO and Executive Director at the CMT Association. Alvin, thank you so much for joining us on the Association Marketing
1: Show. Thanks, Albe. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, happy to have you. So I always like to start with asking our guests about their personal and professional background and yep. how they entered the wonderful world of associations, I uh, like to call it, and yep. uh, what your role uh,
1: today is. So, yeah, for me, I um, my career started a while ago. I, I, I was actually in the right out of college in the military for a few years and then came back, did you know, graduate work and went into financial services. And I kind of found my way into the association world first as a member of Professional Association for Analysts and Portfolio Managers, um, CFA Institute. And um, I worked, you know, a number of years in industry as an analyst and uh, in various roles and then managing teams. And uh, kind of in the early 2000s, I was actually um, at one of the big financial service firms and kind of looking around and got reached out to by um, a board member who was run who was on the board of cfa new york at the time it had a different name and they were looking for a new executive director ceo and um i was a member but he he said look you've been running this other small group here and we really need to kind of do some changes here and we want to have somebody who's not just a a a member or you know has a background in financial services but actually has run you know the run organization and so i joined them and then we're there for about four years and went back into industry. And, um, you know, as circumstance happened, you know, a friend of mine called me up and said, hey, this other group you've been a member of is looking for a new executive director and CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, would you consider moving back into the association world um, and, uh, and kind of, you know, running that organization? And um, interestingly enough, it was a smaller organization than CFA New York in terms of just overall budget, but it had a bigger mandate. Um, mm. We're a global organization in terms of credentialing. So we, the CMT Association, Chartered Market Technicians Association, we actually run a credential mm. um, for analysts and portfolio managers and traders around technical analysis, using technical analysis in their investment process. That's now about four and a half years ago that that happened, that I came back into the association world. In the business world, you it's fairly clear that your motive is to generate profit, right? Right. And generate income and straightforward profit. right and you you try and figure out goods and services that the market wants and you drive those into the marketplace in the association world sometimes it gets flipped on its head and you kind of have to um, you you go from the standpoint of sometimes you, you still want to generate a positive income because that keeps the organization going forward you know because if you just continually use the balance sheet at some point you don't have a balance sheet left right um, But there are times when the profit motive or the profit driver is, is secondary or third on the list of what you're trying to do, mm-hmm. but you still has the person running the organization have to keep an eye on on how much of that you're doing and, and eating into. I guess in some regards, I, I came into the association world a little differently in that I, I spent a fair amount of time in the for-profit sector, but I don't think that's so much unique anymore. Maybe yeah. 10 years ago, that was unique. Yeah. Um, today, I think that you see that more and more. And I would say in many instances, it's more challenging running an association mm. than running a for-profit business mm. because of the, the, non-pro, the non-profit driven motives for delivering a service.
0: Right, it's, it's a more complicated formula that you have to try to manage yeah. on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis. Could you briefly describe CMT Association, you did as part of the intro, but like the main lineup of goods and services that you provide to your members and kind of the history of the organization?
1: so i like to say we're we're a 50 year old startup and that it's only been in the last um 10 years or so the organization has really kind of looked at itself as a business um it's always it had been more about a membership and an, an association up until that time now um our two main areas of kind of product and service is obviously a traditional membership association right um and and our members are financial professionals um it's not an association for Individuals who are just interested in technical analysis, although we do provide some of our programming gears to that, so that there's a a knowledge base that gets out into the public. That the skills aren't kind of misunderstood or misused Mm -hmm. because it can be dangerous. You know, it's somebody says if you if you just show somebody, give them a book, it's kind of like laying a loaded gun. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if there's no context around it. Totally. Um, So, the organization really started as a membership association and then developed and said, you know, we really should put a framework around what defines um, a professional technical analyst. And so they developed, you know, years ago, started to develop the body of knowledge in the curriculum. And that's where we do it. And so our, our our business is kind of ev- almost evenly divided at the moment, a little heavier to the credentialing okay. side in terms of just how that business develops. Yeah. Um, and then from that, you, it's a three-part exam. It's, it takes about 18 months if you go fully through it. We give all three levels of the exam three times a year. Okay. Um, so if you're successful and you pass all three levels, then you would apply to become a full member and use the charter. Mm. You have to be a full member to use the charter. So you have to be a member in good standing. Mm. It's part of, um, in some regards, I hate to say policing, but it's about making sure that, um, the individuals who say they are charter holders are maintaining their continuing ed. We don't have an explicit number of hours, mm. but every year a member sign a, a an annual disclosure statement that says that they're maintaining proficiency hmm. because our skill set can be applied in so many different parts of the market yeah. it's hard to say you need 10 hours here and 10 hours there because in some pe- people they actually need two hours in, in category a and they really need 18 hours in category b because that's how their their market and where they play is developing right um so that's really what we we do. And and obviously there's other pieces around what we call membership value um, that is really continuing ed programming mm-hmm. for our members. And, and we make that available to the public at large Yeah, um, in many instances so that it's not just contained so that anybody could can, can come in and listen in and, and and use utilize that knowledge and, and hear from those experts. Gotcha. Um, but again, those are the two primary. Perfect. We're a very small staff with a global mandate. Um, I have eight full-time employees, including myself globally. Uh, there are probably another five
0: Mm.
1: on and off part-time employees. And then there are a hundred to 150 volunteers who consistently work with us, um, helping us put on chapter events around the globe. Um, and so, you know, we, we do leverage, you know, that, and then we leverage a lot of vendor relations, you know, um, whether it's on the technology front or on the marketing front and deliverables of marketing using platforms rather than developing everything in-house. in-house.
0: Like that can yeah. be a superpower if that's done well, or it can yeah. be kind of an unmitigated disaster if it's not done well in terms of <laughs> right? kind of outsourcing key components of your organization's work to vendors, right? So yeah. it seems like that you have found a way to do that pretty successfully, that you have yeah. uh, you know, at least a handful, if not a large amount of really successful vendor relationships. Yeah. I know we've been working together for a little while, you know, Feather and CMT Association, but right. I know that you work with many other vendors. What, would, what advice would you give to yeah. other association leaders or association executives um, in terms of creating vendor relationships that are actually successful and fruitful long-term as opposed to being, being like expensive yeah. experiments or wastes of time, which I've also seen?
1: Yeah, I I think the key, the key is, is um, having a really open and transparent dialogue with the vendor, letting them know what you're trying to gain from the relationship and how they can gain from the relationship, you know, and obviously the relationship for them is, is in many instances, you know, you're a customer and you're, you're, you're part of their revenue stream, Mm
0: -hmm. but if
1: they have a really good understanding of what you're trying to gain, um, it also helps them focus their service if they have six products, but the reality is, is you really only are, are, you're only going to be able to capture use and utilize two of those products, Mm -hmm. having a very clear relationship and transparency with that, with that vendor about, Hey, look, I know we could have access to all six of your products with the way our relationship is structured. But the reality is, is, is we need to focus on these two. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I think also helps is, is with all of our vendors, we have really regular check-ins. A couple of our vendors, that you know are our very key vendors in delivering the test and right. the curriculum um those vendors are at different times of the year weekly check-ins if not bi-weekly check-ins um and you know at the in the slow periods of the year they're bi-monthly check-ins so you know it, it yeah. it's it's never we don't allow that relationship to ever go 30 or 45 days without a touch point yeah where and, and i think The part of that is I I think about them as just an extension of our employees, right? The the, the product manager or the project manager that we have with each of those vendors, I think of them as part of our employee group. You know, they are, they, they're working for us. They're our our direct interface into the, into the vendor relationship. Mm -hmm. And so we really want to have that. And so what's really great about, you know, doing in the the high intensity periods when we're doing weekly or bi-weekly check-ins, you know. The The consistent people on the call are, you know, the team from CMT Association who's working on that mm-hmm. and the product manager at the vendor. Mm-hmm. But the product manager at the vendor is bringing in different experts for each of those meetings According to help to what's us appropriate, navigate right? delivery. That's perfect. So I love that. Anytime a relationship is broken down, you can almost always track it down to at some point you stop the check-ins or the check-ins slowed to where they weren't frequent enough, that both parties knew or understood what was being worked on or what was needed. Right. The Association Marketing Show is sponsored by Feather, the digital marketing toolkit for events and associations. Is your organization looking to ramp up its sponsorship strategy in 2021? Our latest ebook takes a close look at all of the ways you can leverage digital sponsorships to make up for lost revenue or create new revenue streams altogether. Get your free copy of How to Generate Digital Sponsorship Revenue in 2021 and more at Feather.co slash resources. That's F-E-A-T-H-R rco slash resources.
0: It's so funny that you're using that language. We talk internally like that. So we have our customer success team, which is kind of like our account management team to use a more traditional term. And those are the people that are in touch with their group of customers at least once a month and especially around like slow maintenance periods that's when it's like that but we're flexible too and and a lot of our customers either ask for this on their own or we will recommend it like for example yeah. somebody's using you know feathers marketing tools to promote an annual meeting whether it's virtual or in person you know depending on the timing and like in the last 6 weeks to the point of of that event taking place we'll change our meeting schedule from monthly to something more regular because yeah. that's when a lot of the work is happening and that's where really real time communication is super important and i like the other thing that you mentioned is that that communication allows each party to update each other on what's happening and what's important and what has changed in importance right because it's it's not you sign a you know vendor agreement or a relationship right. agreement you know at at a certain point and then for your entire relationship, the priorities that you talked about on day one are going to be the same. And the plan of execution is going to be the same. It's, it's going to evolve, especially now pandemic life, things are evolving all the time. So that regular communication is so important because things might be out the window that were really important, you know, three months ago when the relationship got started.
1: Well, and I also find that as you start to use somebody's services, um, you know, we were just talking about this with the marketing team the other day. Um, It might be, you look at a couple different things and and, um, different ways of getting your message out. But at the end of the day, as I said to the head of marketing, the category you're talking about is paid, paid advertising, paid Mm -hmm. placement. Um, And whether it's, wherever it is, it's paid placement. And we might be finding that for whatever reason, the behavior of the the potential marketplace of the client Is changed to where they're coming through this one channel that was, has traditionally not been a strong channel for us. We've never, you know, we've not gained a lot of advantage from there, but all of a sudden we're saying, you know, conversion rates that are four times conversion rates on any other channel. Yeah. And I said, you know, my head of marketing and I were having this conversation just yesterday and I said to her, I said, you know, just turn the dial up over there, turn something else down. I said, you know, you've got your bucket of dollars that you're planning to spend. Um, and we're looking at this, and we're looking at the data coming in, and we're saying, whatever we did, and we're going to need to go back and study it. But for right now, we don't need to study. We can look at the data coming in and saying, you know, Channel C was supposed to be, you know, we we normally get, you know, just for numbers, we we usually get a five percent conversion rate right. out of that channel. Right. Right now, we're getting fifteen percent, mm-hmm. and that's our lowest spend. Mm-hmm. And this other channel where we normally get 15 we're barely getting five well something went on with our messaging in those channels let's turn down a turn it down and turn up c and let's throw some additional dollars into c right now reduce what we're spending in a let's then step back over the next couple weeks take a look at what we put out in those channels what the message was and Mm -hmm what the feedback is off of the, off the conversion rate. Mm-hmm. I said to her, we don't need to do, you know, a deep, deep study dive in, a, you know, advance. We we can see the results coming in. It's been steady for two weeks. Right. That's just enough of a signal. C. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and we'll go back and study it and yeah. figure out what happened. Right. And, 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 and on that mortem, we can kind of look at it and, and say, you know, okay, I, you know, maybe we can figure out what happened and maybe we can't. And it might've just been, you know. Yeah. We've seen, and you've probably seen it too, through the last nine months or so of, of the COVID and people moving into a more virtual environment, behavior has changed. Totally. And, and so you have to be willing to be nimble and say, I'm looking at real-time data coming in. I now have two weeks of that real-time data. And what I expected to happen didn't happen. How can I react to, to that Yes, and take advantage of it?
0: What you're saying is is um, like music to my ears for a few reasons. One of the main things that I'm appreciating is how close it seems like you are to your marketing lead and to the marketing of your organization. This is a question that I I was thinking about actually to that I'm excited to ask you as as an ED for your for your association is how do you view marketing and communications, um, and how. Like, how do, yeah, just how do you view that kind of like strategically for your organization and how close do you stay to it? And how, how do you prioritize that? And what is your relationship with your head of marketing look like?
1: When I came on board, the the, the marketing dollars that we were spending were way under where we should have been. And it, it's just a legacy of the business having been run more as a club and mm-hmm. making the transition to thinking about it as a business. Yeah. Um, and to understanding the dynamic of um brand building versus asking for a sell versus selling, right? You kind of think about your, your marketing effort. If you just think about it broadly,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I, I'm trying to do two things, right? At the end of the day, with my marketing and messaging, I'm trying to build awareness and knowledge of my brand and my product. Yep. And then the other piece that you're trying to do, which is much closer to the customer in the end of the day, when you think about it is I'm trying to get them to take an action, right? I'm trying to sell something. And so, the marketing has to, we, we have these conversations internally all the time. When do we want to do the brand building versus the selling kind of messaging? know, what are the channel differences for doing that? Um, we have a weekly call. Um, the marketing team runs it. I sit in on it. Um, but as I'm very clear with them, it's your call. I'm just the participant from the standpoint of I might ask questions um and with the business development team the team that's on the ground trying to do stuff either with sponsors mm-hmm. or positioning product and that's again right. we're a small teams so sometimes that involves you know um yeah. volunteers and, and and or vendors as part of the call or it might be separate calls with them yeah but we do that weekly um and then you know the my my marketing head and the and the, and the um the, the team that works with her um on the website and other development stuff around the website because we i kind of moved the website from being considered technology to being part of the marketing yep. you know like smart it's yep. yours you own the website as part of the marketing team it's right. it's it, it's now it's your it's one of your tools um whereas i think historically the website was kind of thought of as a technology spend um hmm. and so we get that team together and you know you look at it in discrete pieces but then how does it fit into the whole piece um and so then the marketing team and i will probably meet formally once a month mm-hmm. but like i said we're doing weekly calls anyways but yeah i get with them on uh, as a side conversation with just me and them yeah um once a month just to kind of think about long-term overarching types of things whereas that weekly meeting is much more about tactics tactical right the monthly call that i do with them and the meeting with them and we'll we bring in um one of our outside consultants who does a lot of the website stuff so that he's on board and understands what we're doing because the website plays into that. Yeah. We'll do that longer arc conversation, you know, that, Hey, Mm -hmm. we know we have some launch dates coming up over the six, 12, 18 months. What do we want to do about our planning for that? What do we want to change? What do we want to look at? Right. Um, And all of that type of stuff. So we, we do that as well. Um, Yeah. But again, I always feel like it's just important, you know, even I'm the head of the organization, but it, I've got it. I don't want to know all the details about how the sausage is made per se down into the nitty gritty of right. individual spends on the channel. But what I want to look at is that on a big picture is have them bring it up to me and say, overall, this is what the picture looks like. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we can ask questions about how um, we want to change things. And then are we thinking about a new service or in the case of something you know we've talked about with your team is changing patterns of consumer behavior generationally right right? so i'm in the generation and probably the you know middle to end of that generation that joining affinity groups or membership associations is part of what you did i look at my kids Mm. and they are much more subscription-based consumption
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and Will they be a member of an organization? Yeah, but they're more likely to consume and feel comfortable consuming that membership on whether it's a weekly charge or a monthly charge Bite of a subscription. Size. Yeah. And and it, I think long term, that's going to change how we think about associations in terms of of the value proposition we bring mm-hmm. uh, and and what our members are looking for from us. Yeah. This is Some such of it a, might be the same. It's just a difference in how you consume.
0: Totally, it's yes. This is such an interesting point, and I was I was so yeah interested to bring it up with you here today, based upon our last conversation when we were talking about bringing you on here. Is yeah. the evolution of the membership model itself, right? I yep. think maintaining the the quality and the compellingness and the accuracy of the underlying kind yeah. of content assets or experience assets that you provide to your members that's clearly important right and and nobody is questioning that but also there's the method of delivery of those member services and products right which a lot of them have typically been wrapped up in a yearly membership right that's exactly that's probably the the legacy model that is most prevalent in the in the association world and i even relate with that myself i'm 31 you know I I remember when I was in college at UF, some association chapter representatives came and talked to my class once or twice. I was in the advertising program. I kind of like vaguely remember hearing about some chapters of some associations related to what I was studying. (laughs) But it was not like, oh yeah, like that's part of the rite of passage of becoming a professional advertiser or marketer, which is what what I was on the track for, was to become part of... These one or two or three associations like that was critical and um, and so I can relate with that point too and a lot of my kind of professional education so to speak I get in little pockets from different individuals organizations Mm -hmm. brands some formal things but it's kind of all over the place and so because of that I'm reticent to give three four five hundred dollars or more per year to one organization I would rather use that in bite-sized Uh, manners throughout the year to get that piece of info or that course or that webinar or what have you from different people that, you know, according to what I see that I want to learn more about or what I need. And um, so, yeah, I think that's super interesting. It's not only like keep up the quality of your ongoing education of your member experiences and member resources, but what is the method that you are uh, delivering them through that also requires innovation, not just innovation on the underlying content
1: i actually think what's starting to shift is one it's been forced upon us right because of COVID and going virtual the local chapters don't necessarily always have the budget or the the, the strength to do something in a virtual world they weren't set up that way mm-hmm. right they didn't have the they don't have a whole website they don't have you know they were part of a parent organization's website or they were um where they operated through the parent to do that portion of it but the live programming was done locally Right. Um, I think that if you think about it, the NPR, that are we shifting to where 80% of the programming is going to happen from the bigger organization and get pushed out and maybe the local delivers it, um, or be is part of the, the, the the delivery mechanism, but it's only 15 to 20% is delivered at the local level. And that bigger piece is delivered and it is delivered through a virtual or a combination of a hybrid model where you know, part of it is virtual and part of it is a live in-person experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the live in-person experience is going away. And, and the, the, the strength traditionally of the big association model was that for young people coming into the business world, it was an opportunity to meet people outside of your own firm who were right. in your field, right. who you might develop a mentor-mentee relationship with who was outside your firm. And so you still want to be able to provide that, but that platform you're providing it on, is going to be very different over the next five to 10 years than it has traditionally been. And I, we're already starting to see that change. Yeah. The big change is going to be on the model. As you say, am I willing to give 300, $400 in membership? And is my firm willing to reimburse me for it? Right. And if I now have to have three or four or five memberships, because, um, you know, in the financial services world, there are, you know, designations, Mm -hmm. you know, 15 different designations. And depending on what field or part of the field you're in Mm -hmm. three or four may be applicable. Right. Well, if you think about it, under the traditional membership model, three of those memberships, you're talking about a thousand to (laughs) $1,200 a year, right. Just in membership fees. Right. Um, and how much of the continuing ed is embedded in that fee versus do I have to pay extra for it anyway? Yeah, um, we follow the model that if you're a member, very little of it do you pay extra for. Usually, right. it's only the big conference, right? The the annual conference is an extra charge, yeah. and all of the other activities you do are part of your membership fee. Right. Um, but others don't do that model, and so I think when we when I start to look at it in our planning, and um, my roadmap in terms of thinking about the next. Uh eighteen months three years five years and, and seven years mm-hmm. um, how do we have to shift our technology
0: mm-hmm.
1: because right. that's the engagement right that's going that that's the primary method of my engagement with my members around the globe, although I do have chapters yeah and we do a, a you know some engagement at that chapter level how do we need to can we replicate in some measure? that in-person networking experience in a virtual environment. Yeah. And make right. it valuable to to the member. And beyond yeah. just ultimately we have to deliver good content that helps you develop your skills. But that's only a part of it. Right. The other reason you're in the association is to meet people who can help you in your career. Right. Whether directly or indirectly, right? You know, it's like, yeah. hey, I've got a job and you'd be perfect for it or you know, hey, can I talk to you about Understanding, you know, this dynamic I'm seeing in my business. Right. You know, have you, have seen, you experienced this
0: it. before? Right. Yeah. This is yeah. First, this is new territory for me. What can you share with me?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, it, yeah, I think that 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 consuming it on the piece basis or on the subscription basis, as you do it, it is going to become a bigger part of it. Just when you look at generationally, because for better or worse, the the phones that we have have and the apps have delivered that. Mm-hmm. You know, that demand of of I. I can have an app on there and maybe I pay four bucks for the app yeah. and I have it, but then I can buy additional services through the app as I need them. Totally.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's gonna be fascinating to see how things develop and I'm sure there'll be multiple emerging models as multiple yeah. models exist today, but share some similarities. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that'll be the case. One of the things that I think about sometimes as kind of an example for this is um, to some degree where like publishing has gone. In in that, in that, publishing has become, um, for example, if if you think about, uh, I'm thinking like, uh, the Harvard Business Review, for example, right? Right. It's like their their model is really typically high quality kind of high quality content written by subject matter experts, Mm -hmm. right? There's like true expertise behind the content that's published. Again, I don't I don't know all of what they publish, but some of the things that I've seen. And as a non member, I get access to a certain limited amount per month, right? Or or per week. And then if I want additional content, then I can subscribe for a thirty day period or a sixty day period or a ninety day period and get unlimited access to a certain category of content. Right. And then maybe there's additional content that's still only available to me as a paying member but for an additional charge, whether that's a you know, virtual roundtable with an author of a piece um, right, with yeah. a subject matter expert, for example, or something regional or something that's more networking and professional development focused, but still just with kind of paying members. I think that's that's an interesting kind of corollary, and I wonder if some of those dynamics will also develop in an association space, because one of the assets that, have, that uh, professional associations have is true subject matter expertise. Oh, yeah. and to expose the right amount of that to attract people in the profession and to also kind of protect uh, other components mm-hmm. of that behind the membership to make that enticing. That's always uh, a bit of a push pull, but I think that it has to move more yeah. in the direction of exposure and then giving people more opportunities for deeper engagement with behind
1: paying. Yeah. I'm sorry. There's extra phone in the back there. No um, we have uh, we actually have a, a similar type of thing. We do have a, a publication we put out once a year, our journal of technical analysis. And a similar idea it is really geared with deep experts. The articles tend to be very technical. Mm-hmm. And not, you know, kind of a plan word technical analysis, but very technical, mm, right. very specific to the industry, very specific to truly knowledgeable individuals, somebody who understands the skill set of what you're doing and what you're, what you're conveying. right? And um, how much of that do you expose to the public? And can you start to take some of that into more bite-sized pieces mm-hmm. that you can put into something that then the broader world can consume? Yeah. Meaning, you know, can you take that plus of presentation like this parts of this and put together, you know, seven to 10 hours of content, Mm-hmm. That somebody could consume um, over, you know, online, mm-hmm. read the articles, w- watch the presentation by the subject matter expert, and at the end of that seven to 10 hours, have developed some little bit of a skill, right? Yeah. Have developed something that is helpful for them. And then how do you price that and, and make it consumable? You know, mm-hmm. for our members today, it's all free. It's part of your membership. Right. But to those people who aren't part of the membership but would like to consume it, what's the right... Price point. What's mm-hmm. the right delivery mechanism? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you package it? How do you put it into something that makes it consumable? Yeah, um, for a broader community than you currently serve with the the folks who clearly are your members today. Yeah. Um, yep. And then do that. So it, it's it is a battle um, that's just really starting to fully yeah. be engaged in the association world. I think. Right. Um, I think the the publishing is a great example. um You look at textbooks; um, you can still get, you know. Uh, here, let me, let me grab. Here. This is our 2020, the 2021. For so like, everybody listening, book, Alvin just right? grabbed a big uh, textbook yeah. and
0: showed it to the camera.
1: So this is now this mm. book can be. You can purchase it. You know, you can get a digital. What I you know basically. A, the digital version of that book like on a Kindle
0: mm-hmm.
1: you can get it right through right. through the publisher but now we've just introduced it in a learning platform where yeah. it's broken up into what you would call lessons right so that delivery mechanism is entirely different and the way that's structured is entirely different than just reading the book mm-hmm. it's all the same material
0: right but it, ap- just, it appeals to a different type of learner right. as well right Alvin, last question before we let you get out of here, if that's OK, sure. is a question that I ask to almost every guest, which is at this stage in your career, what do you mm-hmm. wish you would have known when you got started? And you could think about that your entire professional background or maybe even just getting started in association leadership. Kind of in- take that any way that you'd like.
1: Yeah, I think that the the piece that I, uh, I think that... um you kind of don't know when you first get into it that you you kind of it would have been helpful to know coming into it. it, especially coming from, let's call it the industry and for-profit world into the into the association world is, um, while there's a lot of similarities of running the business, you know, it is still at the end of the day a business, um, it, it's it's a sharp difference, but it's also a nuanced difference. And that is what we talked about early on, mm. is that in the for-profit world, you're really trying to, you, you, you can really definitely identify and everything you're doing is to drive the product successfully into the marketplace. And in the nonprofit world, that balancing the fact that you have to deliver and have a, have a need and a mission to deliver services that at the end of the day are all just cost centers. Mm -hmm. and so you know and how you have to balance that part of the business with the part of the business Mm -hmm. that helps fund that right and so you really have to think about that whole picture a lot differently and and it's hard to you know for anybody who's never sat in the chair it's really hard to understand that you know until you've been in the association world Mm -hmm. um that that there's that balance that has to be that you have to kind of grasp and Mm -hmm. get, get your arms around. And I think my first iteration through the nonprofit and the association world, that was a big part of the battle. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I took over, you know, the uh, the other association in 2006 and in 2008, the financial world came to a crumbling halt because of the, the, the mortgage. Um, I was basically 18 months into my stint running that organization when um, we had turned everything around from a business perspective, got it back to, you know, not consuming the balance sheet, but mm-hmm. actually putting assets back on the balance sheet. Yeah. And all of a sudden 2008 happened and you're struck with all that good work you just did. You're going to just destroy it in, in your mind mm-hmm. because you're going to have to run a bunch of programs for the membership
0: mm-hmm.
1: to help them because you're looking at, A quarter of your membership out of work.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Minimum, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) That was that was the number we got with people openly telling us they were looking. Right. I estimate there was another 15 to 20 percent that was out of work that weren't telling us they were out of work. Mm -hmm. And realizing we now had to offer a lot of programming. Mm -hmm. We had to step up programming that had no chance whatsoever of generating any near-term revenue. Right. But what was really satisfying is If we looked at the membership level, like kind of take a date that was before the collapse happened. Right. And when I left in the middle of 2010 to go back in the industry, our membership level was actually up.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. I think that only happened because during that, that the hardest 12 month period of time, we went out to the members who we knew were unemployed and said, look, if you're unemployed, we're waiving your membership dues for the year. Right we and we want you we want to help you get back employed um mm-hmm. uh, you know would you if you were running a for-profit of ever gone to clients and saying yeah. hey this product that you pay you know 350 a year to have access to we're going to give it to you for free for the next year but just because your business is struggling
0: right. yeah
1: yeah it's 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 um <laughs> you know, it's good value but a quarter it's also of your good base, right what does that do to your revenue and in uh, your profitability? It, it it wipes it out. Yeah. But when we look two years later, we actually grew our membership during that four-year window, from, and and in particular from the period just before the collapse to the end, right. and and that was really hard to go through mm-hmm. and not knowing, you know, not having experienced that in the membership board or having been exposed to it. That was the one piece. If I look back, mm. understanding that sooner. Right, understanding like we that we adapted to it quick, reasonably quickly, but I think we could have adapted to it six months sooner if I had, you know, been much more aware of that point.
0: Right, yeah. and talk about timely advice, huh? That we find ourselves, many associations find themselves in that exact same situation right now, and I'm, I'm pleased to say that I've heard from many association leaders that this has been their realization as well, that in this time where the association is struggling for revenue because events have been canceled, sponsorships right. have been lost, et cetera, et cetera. Kind of the knee jerk reaction is try to recoup as much of re- as much revenue as possible. But in many cases, the members are hurting and the right. members need to be attended to and their needs need to be met. Yeah. And then if that's done well, that will kind of come back to you. Karma is practical, right? That'll come back <laughs> yeah. to you in the future. Right once a recovery has taken place and and the industry is in a better place. So that's talk about timely advice. And
1: and that I think when I look back is had I had I been able, had I had that experience or known that more fully Mm -hmm. when I first started in the association world um, that I could have reacted quicker. We reacted quick enough, but you know, I just look at it as a a big learning experience that, you know, it was good to go through, but mm-hmm. boy, it was painful at the time.
0: Well, it's a great story, and I'm sure it yeah. served you in this time. And it's, yeah. it's a, again, very, very timely, relevant story and advice and takeaway for, for what's happening right now. Alvin, this has been so much fun. I, I've i loved this conversation, and there was at least half a dozen things that you mentioned that I wanted to go down <laughs> the trail of, yeah. but maybe we'll have to do that at some point in the we future. Can, we
1: can investigate some of these things, you know, at another time. I'm happy to do it.
0: That'll be great. Thank you so much, Alvin, for for joining. And thanks, for everybody, for listening. uh, And tune in on the next one. The Association Marketing Show is brought to you by Feather, the all-in-one digital marketing toolkit built just for associations. Today, more than 800 associations use Feather, to power the digital marketing for all of their key programs like virtual events, membership campaigns, continuing education, and more. To learn more about our technology and do it for you implementation services, check us out at feather.co. That's F-E-A-T-H-R dot C-O. And if you've got feedback about the show or would like to join as a guest, shoot us an email at podcast at feather.co. See you on the next one.